You're listening to an Axe Church sermon. Axe Church is located in Camas, Washington. You can find out more about us at www.axecamas.org. Check out our other sermons and podcasts. You can find them on iTunes Podcasts, SoundCloud, and our website. This sermon was preached by Pastor David Robinson, who is the teaching pastor at Axe Church. We hope you enjoy the sermon, and we hope that the Lord blesses you through it. Merry Christmas. Some of you have noticed that I look a little bit different today. Unusual, yes. Hey, look, I know what you're thinking. Just relax, okay? Ladies, seriously. Um, two times a year, that's what you get, right? Resurrection Sunday, Christmas. If you have me do your wedding or something, you get that then. Obviously, if I defend you in court, Glenn. Um, Usually I'll wear the suit, I charge extra for that, but it's Christmas time, and I'm glad to be here with you all. Um, You know, if you or your children are going off to college or um, have been off to college recently or even just like to watch YouTube, uh, you've probably uh, heard some stories about ancient myths, some stories about how ancient myths are just like the Christian story. In fact, there's one that goes like this. Uh, There's an ancient religion where the God's name is Horus. And, And the story they'll tell is something like this. It says, he was conceived by a virgin named Mari and had a stepfather named Seb, which translates to Joseph. He was born in the cave And his birth was announced by an angel and heralded by a star and attended by shepherds. He attended a special rite of passage at the age of 12, but the ancient texts describing him leave out everything from the age of 12 to 30. But at 30 years of age, this god, Horus, was baptized in a river and his baptizer was later beheaded. He had 12 disciples, performed miracles, exercised demons, raised someone from the dead, and even walked on water. They called him Ayusa and the Holy Child. He delivered a sermon on the mount, and his father's followers recounted his sayings. He was transfigured on a mount and crucified between two thieves. He was buried for three days in a tomb and rose from the dead. And his followers called him Way, the Truth, the Light, Messiah, God's anointed Son, Son of Man, Good Shepherd, Lamb of God, Word made flesh, Word of truth, the Christ, or anointed one. He was also known as the fisher and was associated with the fish, the lamb, and the lion. According to this ancient religion, Horus came to fulfill the law and was supposed to reign 1,000 years. Now, if you're a young Christ follower and you hear something like this, especially from a college professor or someone else that seems very authoritative, you know, like those YouTube videos are so authoritative. It might just mess with you a little, right? It sounds like this Horus guy has exactly the same story as Jesus Christ. And if that's true, then is Jesus just made up based on these ancient myths? The fact is that skeptics use many old myths, not just the myth of Horus, to try to suggest that the history that we have about Jesus is a myth. This is a common tactic. But the problem is, the truth is, is that Of all these myths that they bring up, none of them are really very close in actuality to the history of Jesus Christ. In the case of Horus, the real facts of the Horus myth, if you actually study them rather than just listening to someone on YouTube, uh, are pretty underwhelming. 
Uh, in the myth, Horus' name, mother's name is Isis, not Merai. There's no evidence that the word Merai was ever used. Uh, they just made that up. Horus was not conceived of a virgin. In fact, uh, his mother, Isis, formed a phallus, made one, and hovered over it and got pregnant that way. So not really much anything like the virgin birth. Um, there are no wise men, no three wise men in the story. Incidentally, there's no three wise men in the story of Jesus either. We don't know how many wise men there were. That's just made up. He did not have a stepfather named Seb, and even if he did, Seb doesn't translate to Joseph. Uh, Horus was not announced by an angel, heralded by a star, attended by shepherds, or born in a cave. In the myth, he was born in a swamp, and none of the other stuff happened. He never taught at the temple like 12, like Jesus, nor is there any suspiciously missing part of his history. He was never baptized at any age, so he definitely wasn't baptized by a baptizer who was beheaded. He did not have 12 disciples, did not exercise demons, did not raise the dead, did not walk on water. Although, being a mythical god, there were some miracles that were attested to him. No one in Egyptian myth history was ever called Ayusa. There's actually no such word as that. Um, and they certainly never called him Holy Child. Horus never gave a sermon on the mount, nor was he transfigured. He wasn't crucified between two thieves, buried for three days in a tomb, and resurrected. In fact, in most of the myth stories of Horus, he doesn't die at all uh, in the Egyptian narratives. In, in most of them, he goes and becomes part of the god Re, which is the sun god, and then he quote-unquote dies each night and quote-unquote rises each morning. Uh, there's another account of the myth where he gets chopped up in pieces and his mother has a crocodile bring the pieces back to the shore. So, you know, just like Jesus. Um, he was not called the way, the truth, the light, Messiah, God's anointed son, son of man, good shepherd, lamb of God, word made flesh, word of truth, the Christ or anointed one. None of these titles are in Egyptian history. And although in some of the stories he becomes a fish, he's not associated with being a fisher or, and not associated at all with a lion or the lamb. And there was no Egyptian law for Horus to fulfill and there was no mention of a thousand-year reign in Egyptian history. Oops. You can find all this stuff up out if you just kind of look on the internet. It's a guy named Jay Warner Wallace who's done some research on this and has some stuff out there if you want to look that up. But you'll still hear people tell that same story that I told you. And they'll say it about Horus, or they'll say it about Osiris, or they'll say it about a number of these different ancient mythical gods. They want to, they want to bring the idea up that Jesus was just something that was made up. Okay, maybe he existed, but all the things about him were just made up based on these ancient myths. Okay, but if we do any real research, all of that goes away. And that probably makes sense because if there were all these exact parable of parallels, then the original Christ followers would have made that connection a lot faster than you or me. Because, of course, you may or may not know this, but in the first century, they didn't have Netflix. And so myth and story were a big deal. If Jesus had just been an exact copy of all these other things, I think the first Christ followers would have been less likely to jump on board, right? But here's the thing. I'm not telling you about all this skeptical noise about myths and whatever to try to do a kind of a skeptics form and argue the truth of Christianity. The fact is, Christianity is true. That's why I'm bringing this up. There is actually some value. There is actually some value to the similarities that do exist between the ancient myths about different gods and the historical account of Jesus Christ. There are some parallels, and there's some value in those parallels. Even though the pre-Christian accounts uh, of, of ancient gods and so on are unreasonably exaggerated or just lied about to try to make them look like Jesus, the fact is, is that they did show something. 
These myths did show that there was a strong yearning, a strong yearning in people to make sense of the hope that they wanted in their heart, that there would be a God that would come and save them. That's a yearning that's part of the human condition. In Romans 1, we read this, starting at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse." People have always known, as they know now, that there is a God, that there are such things as wrong and right, that death is not just a tragedy, but a brokenness in the world. That pain and dysfunction and oppression and abuse don't fit with who we're created to be. There's something wrong with it. See, people were made in the image and likeness of God, and our hearts ache for joy, for renewal, for transformation, and for peace. And of course, the people in the ancient world, just like us today, came up with stories and myths and philosophies to try to soothe that ache in their heart. But you know, the problem with them is the same problem with us. You know, they want their heart to be at peace, at shalom, right? They want, they want to be complete. They don't want to think about and deal with all the difficulties. But they want to do all that without costing them the real cost of serving God, without the real cost of submission and worship to the one true God. See, Horus and Osiris and Isis and all that stuff, these are just the ancient world's ver- version of our world's self-help and modern spirituality, right? The same thing. Tell yourself you are good and you'll feel good. Self-help, right? Tell yourself you are God and you'll feel good. Modern spirituality. The problem is that people eventually realize that they are neither good nor God. And then they don't feel so good when they figure that out. So they make more idols and they make up more myths. We have them today like they had them then. And so it has been for such a very long time. One of those myths that exists in the ancient world is a myth that we see some of this dying and rising God. Dying and rising God, a corn king, as C.S. Lewis described it. A God that's connected to nature as we see each year in the pattern of life that the seed dies and then in the spring rises again. And we see this pattern and so there were, there were gods that were made up to sort of mirror the natural life cycle of the crop. C.S. Lewis says this, God sent the human race what I call good dreams. I mean those queer stories scattered all throughout heathen religions about a God who dies and comes to life again and by his death is somehow given new life to men. These good dreams persist to our own time. They are still around. But here's the thing. The story of Christmas, what we're talking about today, what we're here for today, is the story of broken myths becoming true reality. There's a difference between the myths of the ancient world and the facts of the incarnation. Because here's the deal. Horus worship, Isis worship, and all the other 
fake gods and, and like myth worship, that's all gone. Those are dead religions. There's not a scientist or a serious academic or frankly anybody that I'm aware of uh, that still believes in Horus or any of these other mythological stories. And yet somehow there are many, many scientists, academics, doctors, plumbers, construction workers, taxi drivers, teachers, students, and even lawyers who believe in Jesus Christ to this day. The one who was truly, not mythologically, born of a virgin. The one who truly, not mythologically, died on the cross. And the one who truly, not mythologically, rose from the dead on the third day, defeating death and hell and sin. All these other myths, they died in obscurity. No one buys that. They're laughable, but Christianity, it continues to thrive. We're all still sitting here today. Why is that? It's not just because the biblical records are so accurate and have been found to be so reliable historically, but because we have experienced the hope that cannot come from myth, but can only come from fact, from reality. The Christ follower sees history as an unfolding story written by the greatest lover, our creator, God, and starring our God, who stepped into our world as a human being a little over 2,000 years ago. This is the center of history for the Christ follower. Christmas is not about presents. Sorry, kids. And Santa Claus. Sorry, Glenn. And crowded malls. It is a celebration where that hope that has been yearned for in myth for thousands and thousands of years meets reality. The incarnation, the coming of God into the world as a human being is the moment when hope, which was just a dream, became truth, became reality. In Luke chapter 2, 8 through 14, we have this. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you that you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men, good news, great joy to all people, <coughs> a savior born, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Watch the news. Look in your own heart. We don't have peace. We don't have goodwill toward men. Not without Jesus. Not without Jesus. He's our only hope for either peace or goodwill toward men. That's why this was such good news. The shepherds didn't hear this and then go, uh, you know, okay, I mean, that's nice. I like the angel show thing, but we got plenty of peace and goodwill. That's not what their mentality was. These were shepherds. They were outcasts. They had experienced what it meant to be treated poorly. They knew all about no peace, 
no goodwill. They knew all about oppression and abuse and the brokenness of the world. And so when these angels came and said, peace, goodwill to men, joy, the hope that was born in their hearts was incredible. (coughs) And they ran to that little baby boy because the message of this angel was everything, was everything. The hope of the message from that angel was the answer to every half-hearted myth, to every ridiculous idol, to every fearful judgment that we shy away from. Have you ever been waiting for the other shoe to drop? You ever been in that place in life, you told a lie, you talked about someone behind their back, you took something, you stole something from work, you cheated, you were lazy, whatever, you did something, rotten. You'd messed up and it was only a matter of time before someone found you out. Before someone found out what you did and you were going to face judgment and here you are sitting there with that feeling in the pit of your stomach that the other shoe was about to drop. That feeling magnified by a million, is the general feeling pervading all of humanity. That is a general feeling pervading and distressing every person on earth. C.S. Lewis makes two points early on in the book, Mere Christianity. He says this, first, that human beings all over the earth have this curious idea that they ought to behave in a certain way and cannot really get rid of it. Secondly, that they do not, in fact, behave that way. They know the law of nature, and they break it. These two facts are the foundation of all clear thinking about ourselves and the universe we live in. Everybody inherently knows these two facts. There's a law, there's right and wrong, and we have messed up. We're on the wrong side of that equation. We've broken God's law. If there is a good God... If he's good, and he has to be good, because if he wasn't good, there could be no good and evil. There could be no right and wrong. He has to be good. And if there's a good God, he shouldn't want anything to do with me. Because I know who I am. I know what thoughts have passed through this head and what things these hands have done. I know all about it. I know all the hurt I've caused to myself and to others. And so here I stand before this baby, in fear of the judgment that I know must come if God is good. Now, you may be thinking, if you're just a skeptic, maybe you're here just to check things out, that's great. We, we love to have you. We're, we're, you're, you're welcome here. You might be thinking, judgment? Really? I haven't done anything that bad. Or, oh yeah, judgment, hell, all that stuff, that's, that's kind of laughable. That's kind of old school to be bringing that stuff up in 2018, isn't it? Well, let me, let me explain something to you. If God is good, if God is good, what is he to do with those who rebel from him and reject him, but to put them away from him? And that's a reality that we all need to think about. I mean, would you bring someone into your house? You've set this house up in perfection, joy, and peace, and hope, happiness, right? Perfection. And somebody says, I want to come in there, but I'm not going to follow the rules of the house. You're not going to let them in. 
God's not either. And that's a reality. And because of that, that feeling in our gut, that other shoe's going to drop thing, that fear that we don't want to put a name to that keeps us up at night when we can't sleep and we don't know quite what it is, that fear of judgment is pervasive. Trust me, those shepherds felt it too. There's a reason that was good news. We find so many things to try to get rid of that feeling. Entertainment, burying ourselves in our phones, turning off our brains, self-help books, alcohol, drugs, worshiping sex or worshiping power or worshiping money or any other idol or functional savior that we create to make us ignore or forget that gnawing feeling of guilt and shame that we have knowing that judgment is waiting. We suppress the truth in unrighteousness, as Romans 1 says. And we dig ourselves every time just a little bit deeper into the anxiety of that human condition without Jesus Christ. But in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, there is hope. There is hope. I was so sin-weary. Years ago, I was just so, I was broken and I looked into the law and the goodness and the righteousness and the holiness of God and I could not stand under my own wickedness. It literally bowed me down physically. I couldn't handle it. And then I looked to the incarnation, the miracle of Christmas and the cross of Jesus Christ and the empty tomb, the miracle of Resurrection Sunday. And Jesus met me there, and then rest, peace, hope. I was drowning in anxiety. I was drowning in fear. I was drowning in shame. And then this baby boy, Jesus, come to the world to save me. I saw the broken world, and, and even worse, and, and, and more painful, and more intensely suffering. I saw the broken me. And then, the power of the central miracle of Christmas. A child is born. My God, my King, my friend. What does the incarnation mean for those of us who need God? For all of us. So much more than you can imagine. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 <coughs> says this, but it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Literally, you cannot imagine all that it means. Your brain, however big it is, is not big enough to imagine how amazing the things that you can inherit because this child was born, died, and rose again. It's so good, it is beyond the goodestly good goodness that you can imagine. It's that good. Imagine that. No, don't. You can't. The world has seen so much pain. We made a mess, but Jesus Christ was born of a virgin for you and me. No more idols, no more myths, but Jesus Christ, born, crucified, and risen. Paul 
the apostle went to Athens. In Acts 17, we read about it. He spoke to the philosophers and the religious people of the day who, who were all hanging out there just to hear new things and talk about stuff. They had all the philosophies and myths of their culture. They had that. All the idols, right? Both the ones that people crafted with their hands and the ones that get built up in our hearts. All of that existed. And Paul walks into that moment and says this. In Acts 17, starting at verse 29. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance, God overlooked. But now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. God has overlooked it for a time. And maybe that's you. And maybe you've had a, a difficult life, a difficult childhood, whatever it is, or all kinds of reasons that have kept you from God. And he, maybe he's overlooked it for a time, but now you're called to repent. Because as Paul says, judgment is coming. We'd be lying to you if we just said, look at all the mistletoe and the Christmas cheer and whatever, but there's nothing that you have to worry about. But Jesus being a baby doesn't mean any more than Santa Claus. That's all nonsense. This is it. We're celebrating the centrality of history. Of all the things that exist in the universe, this baby being born is it. It is the only hope that you have to avoid righteous judgment. And it's so much more than that. The blessing of knowing him. The same message that Paul was preaching then, we are preaching now. Repent. Repent. Throw away your idols. Throw away your functional saviors. Throw away all that nonsense. None of it's going to save you. And come to this holy child and cry out to Jesus Christ for freedom and truth and peace and life and hope in him. In Acts chapter 16, when the Philippian jailer had had quite a, quite a thing go on, and he had witnessed Paul and Silas living out their walk as Christ followers. And when, and when the time finally came and he was so moved, he came to them and he said, this is chapter 16, verse 30, second part of the verse, what must I do? to be saved. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus. This child born a human to save us from our sin. The Old Testament prophecies whisper a hope for humanity. And there's a particular people, the Jews who God set aside, who are looking forward to that hope. And then the child born, the hope of the world, the only hope of the world. Some of you are suffering today. You are. Right now, you don't know what to do. You've made mistakes that have hurt yourself and others. Other people have made mistakes that have hurt you also. You're facing or you're in or maybe you're just coming out of the valley of the shadow of death and you're begging for peace, for shalom, for wholeness. This baby in this manger is the hope that God has sent you.
to separate your sin as far as east is from west, to make you new and create in you a clean heart, to give you the Holy Spirit and to walk with you, his hand firmly on you as you face the valley of the shadow of death, as you walk through the difficulty of this broken world broken by us. He came to unbreak it. And you can have his touch, the touch of a God. The touch of a God that could not have touched you, could not have had relationship with you because of your sin. Because he's holy. And your wicked thoughts and your harmful actions and your lies and your deceit and your theft and your sexual immorality and your drunkenness and your harsh words and your hypocrisy and your hatred and your pride and your selfishness, that catch everybody? It's like one of those Facebook quizzes. How many, what score did you get? How many did you say yes to? Because of those things, God couldn't touch you because holiness can't be marred by dirtiness, filthiness, which is what we are. And yet, he paid the price himself. He, he came, he knew the only way it could happen is if he did it. He sent his son into the world that through him the world might be saved. Because of this baby boy, because God was willing to send his son to suffer and die in your place, you can have hope. You can have hope. Oh, our God and our Savior, hope. You have to be going through those times from time to time where the enemy gets to you and you, something, you just can't see the hope that's there. Well, let that break away this morning. When you think about Christmas, when you spend time with your family, or not, some of you are going to have a hard Christmas this year. But you know what? Look through that to the hope that is in Jesus Christ. And if you've never understood Christmas, if you've never understood it for what it is, if you've never understood the hope that is found in Jesus Christ, let this Christmas be your birthday, your spiritual birthday. See, it's not really Jesus' birthday. He wasn't born on December 25th probably back in September, early October. So I missed it. But this could be your birthday. If you're in here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you've never become a Christ follower, you've never repented, you've never turned away, you've never seen the hope, you've never understood, you have that feeling, you know exactly what I'm talking about. At night, when the tears come, you don't even know what it is. When nothing fits, the relationships don't bring you what you need. The Facebook likes don't bring you what you need. That bottle doesn't bring you what you need. That job, that power, that money, that sex, and still, you don't feel that you're whole. And yet, you come against Christmas this year and recognize that the answer is there in the child that was born that was God. He loved you and me. He loved us enough to come to earth and become a human. This is God. He creates galaxies and was willing to have his diapers changed. He created the universe and was willing to let us nail him to a tree so that he could defeat sin and hell and death and take away that which was between us and him. And you can have that. You can have that. The incarnation is the hope of the world. And that hope is for all of us. It's for you.
Today is the day you can go from spiritual death to life. You can believe in the name of Jesus Christ and be healed and made right with God right now, today. You can repent. You can turn away from your sin. You don't have to live that way. Right now, you live. If you're not a Christ follower, you live as a slave to sin. You're chained up to it. You don't understand why you can't get away from it, why you can't change. But if you put your trust, not in some myth, not in Osiris, not in Horus, but in the real and true historical Jesus Christ who lived, was born, died, and rose again, you can be free from all of that. This isn't some false idol or some false hope or some self-help. This is Jesus, the Messiah, the prophesied one who came. The real hope comes through, through God, our King, our friend, our Savior, the God who became human, the miracle that the whole world, that the whole universe, that all of history and everything hinges on this point. God becoming man in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord. We are humbled, humbled that you would think anything of us. What are we that you'd be mindful of us? That you would think about us, not just to even look over at us, but to love us so much that you would come down And give your life to save us? God, I pray that every person in this room would just be broken before you right now. Would recognize the power that you have. Would recognize what drives the Christ follower day after day in this fallen and broken world. And yet there's hope constantly in our eyes no matter what we with the death and the pain and the destruction and yet we fear not because we know you as long as we're looking at you like Peter walking on the water as long as he kept his eyes on you Lord let us keep our eyes on Christmas let us keep our eyes on the incarnation let's keep our eyes on resurrection Sunday Lord that you were born that you died that you rose and that that's everything for us and that if there's a hope for eternity and in our hearts we know we're eternal as your servant C.S. Lewis talked about he said, if there's a hope in our heart that nothing in this world seems to satisfy, it must be that we were made for another world. And we were, Lord. We were made to be with you. And you were the only one that could make it happen, that, that that could take place. And we thank you, God, this Christmas. Let us hold dear our salvation. Lord, if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know you, that wants to live that life of hope, of joy, not of happiness all the time, no nonsense about health and wealth and you're going to be rich and all that stuff, Lord. But if you're speaking to the heart of someone right now and saying, you want relationship with them, you want to put your hand on them, you want to hold them as they walk through the difficulties of life, Lord, I pray that they would cry out to you in their heart right now, that they would believe on you and be saved. Jesus. Let this be a Christmas of spiritual birthdays. We love you, Lord. In your name, amen. Well, thanks for listening to that Acts Church sermon. We hope you got a lot out of it. If you did, we'd love it if you would comment or uh, 
give us a review or give the track a like. Uh, it really means a lot to us to hear back from people who have um, heard these sermons and have been impacted by it. So share your story with us. Share what is happening in your life um, that this is speaking into. And remember, you can subscribe to our iTunes podcast or through SoundCloud so that you can get all of our releases as soon as they come out. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with more next week.